Welcome to the Greystone Church Podcast. We are grateful that you're here and taking time out of your day to listen and grow with God. We pray that God will speak to you and you will experience His amazing love through this message. Let's take a listen. Last weekend, Jennifer and I went to see the movie, The Jesus Revolution, and it's based on a true story. It's about the last great revival that took place here in America about 50 uh, years ago, and it was a powerful movie. If you haven't seen the movie, I, I encourage you to go and, and watch the movie. And the whole time during the movie, I'm, I'm like crying. I was so moved by the movie, and Jennifer looks over at me, and she's like, what is your, what is your problem? <laughs> but I, I, was, I was so moved by the movie, and I, I think I can relate to uh, the pastor, Chuck Smith, who, who's played by Kelsey Grammer, um, because I wanna see revival happen in my lifetime and, and, and in, you know, while I'm here. And uh, it was so exciting for me, but I can write to the pastor. And so the pastor took a, a risk. He, he took a big risk of, of losing his job um, because the, the traditional people didn't want the hippies coming into the church, you know, because they were dressed like hippies and they were barefooted. And, and he, he let them in, you know, and he, he said, come as you are. And, uh, you know, and so the church made some changes. Uh, they changed the music, they, they changed the dress code, the pastor changed his style. They outgrew the church, they moved, they moved from a church into a big tent. And thousands of people came to know Christ and they were baptized at, at Pirate's Cove. Uh, and Time Magazine wrote an article about, about it, uh, the Jesus Revolution, and, and then the revival spread uh, through, throughout America. A lot of pastors believe we're, we're beginning to see the drops of revival. Uh, what took place at, at Asbury Seminary or Asbury College a, a few weeks ago, what began as a normal chapel service, turned into a 24-hour worship service, and people from you know, all over the world uh, came to, to be a part of it. Uh, last Sunday during our 11 o'clock service, we had all the students from Surge and they crowded around the stage here, and they were all lifting their hands and, and worshiping God, and, and I was over there, and I got tears in my eyes. <laughs> Not that I'm a crier or anything, <laughs> but I looked across the auditorium, and there were other parents who were, who were wiping away the tears, and it's so powerful to see our young people passionately worshiping uh, Jesus, and I think revival's gonna begin with, with the young people. Uh, if you look throughout history, revival typically starts on college campuses. It just starts with the young people. And, and it, it caused me to ask the question, do we need to make some changes at Greystone to reach the, younger, the next generation? Because we've been, we've been talking a lot over, over the last year or so, how can we get younger as a church? And, and how can we reach the next generation? And I don't know if we need to make some changes or not, but I think we need to be open to making some changes. We need to be open to, to, to you know, things that maybe we prefer so that we could reach the next generation. And we, we are praying for revival. There's certainly some ingredients to revival. Of course, prayer, a personal prayer, being united in prayer, gathering together to pray. Humility, confession, repentance, turning from our sins, uh, turning from the things of the world and, and turning back to God. And so today's message falls in line with confession, 
repentance, uh, turning back to God. At the end of the service at all of our campuses, we're gonna celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper together so you can be, uh, be preparing your heart and mind for that. But we're in the middle of a series called Jehovah, the Names of God. We've been looking at the different names of God so that we can better understand God, so we can better worship God, so we can better know God, so we, we can serve him uh, wholeheartedly. And so today's name is Jehovah Mekadishkam, the God who sanctifies you, the Lord who sanctifies you. And today we're gonna talk about some deep theological terms, okay? I hope, that, I hope they don't overwhelm you, but I hope they inspire you and encourage you to go deeper in your relationship with Christ. And so we're looking at the order of salvation. We're gonna, we're gonna talk about redemption and justification, sanctification, that's what we're mainly talking about today, the Lord who sanctifies you. And then ultimately, we're going to end with, with glorification. And so we're gonna go back to the Old Testament. That's where we see the term Jehovah Mekadishkam. So if you have your Bibles, you have a copy of the scripture, we're in Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 19, and I'm gonna begin in verse one. It says, exactly two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. After breaking camp at Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and set up camp there at the base of Mount Sinai. Then Moses climbed the mountain to appear before God. The Lord called to him from the mountain and said, give these instructions to the family of Jacob. Announce it to the descendants of Israel. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on ankle on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, you'll, if you'll obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure among all the peoples on earth, for all the earth belongs to me and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This message is, this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. And so God has brought the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt. He saved them, he redeemed them, and then Moses leads them to the mountain of the Lord. And you may remember, we, we looked at the story of the burning bush a few weeks ago. And when God calls Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt and out of slavery and out of captivity, he says to bring them to the mountain of the Lord. Bring them back to this place. And so that's what Moses does, right? I mean, Moses does what God called him to do. He brings him back to the mountain of the Lord. And so Moses, he goes up on the mountain and he meets with God and then God establishes his covenant with his people, the Israelites. And he says, tell the Israelites that they're God's own special treasure. God owns all the earth, but the Israelites they're my special treasure. There'll be a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation. And so God is telling the Israelites that they've been set apart, that they are special, they've been made holy. And he begins, he, begins, he, he says they started with a humble beginning, you know, the family of Jacob. But now you've grown into a great nation, a holy nation. You're gonna be different than the rest of the nations. You've been made holy, you've been set apart. The Lord is Jehovah Mekadishkam, the Lord who sanctifies. And so sanctified means to be set apart, to be holy, to be pure. And so God establishes his covenant with his people there to obey his commands and keep his covenant. Uh, verse seven, so Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded him and all the people responded together, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. 
So Moses brought the, brought the people's answers back to God. Exodus chapter 20, we have God giving Moses the 10 commandments, and so he established his covenant with his people. Is everybody with me? All right, good stuff. So let's fast forward to Exodus 31. We're gonna fast forward about 10 chapters. Exodus 31, verse 12. The Lord then gave these instructions to Moses. Tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day, for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. That's, that's where the term Jehovah Mekadishkim. I am the Lord who makes you holy. You must keep the Sabbath day for it is a holy day for you. Anyone who desecrates it must be put to death. Anyone who works on that day will be cut off from the community. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day must be a Sabbath day of complete rest, a holy day dedicated to the Lord. Anyone who works on the Sabbath must be put to death. He, he mentions it twice there. This is the covenant obligation for all time. It is a permanent sign of my covenant with the people of Israel. For six days, the Lord made the heaven and earth, but on the seventh day, he stopped working and was refreshed. When the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant written by the finger of God. So if you're taking notes, point number one is the Sabbath is a sign of God's covenant with his people. The Sabbath is a sign of God's covenant with his people. So observing the Sabbath is what sets God's people apart from the rest of the world. The Sabbath is one of the 10 commandments. It's number four. It's number four of the big 10. The purpose of the Sabbath is to sanctify us, to make us holy. Exodus 31, 13 says, tell the people of Israel, be careful to keep my Sabbath day for the Sabbath is a sign of the covenant between me and you from generation to generation. It is given so that you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. I am the Lord who makes you holy. I am Jehovah Mekadishkim. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. And God says the purpose of the Sabbath is to make you holy. They were to set aside one day a week to observe the Sabbath. They were to work six days and then set aside one day to focus on God. The purpose being for God to sanctify them, for God to make them holy. And so observing the Sabbath was so important that God says those who disobey the Sabbath would be put to death. God wants us to be pure and holy. He wants us to be sanctified. It's not an option. It's not to be taken lightly. He wants us to be set apart from the world. Leviticus 20, verse seven and eight says, so set yourselves apart to be holy, for I am the Lord your God. Keep all my decrees by putting them into practice, for I am the Lord who makes you holy. There, there it is again. I am Jehovah Mekadishkim. I am the Lord who makes you holy, the Lord who sanctifies you. Again, sanctification means to be set apart, to be pure, to be, to be holy. So, so th this, is a, this, this is a high bar to live up to. And, and it says in Leviticus that we are to consecrate ourselves. We're to set ourselves apart to be holy, but God is the one who sanctifies. And so 
We're to do our part, like we have, we have a role to play in the sanctification process. We're to do our part and trust God to do his part. We are to consecrate ourselves. We are to set ourselves apart to be holy. And how do we do this? It's by knowing and obeying God's word. We're to put God's word into practice. Now, now we can't do this in and of our own strength. We have, we have the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. He is the one who sanctifies us. He is Jehovah Mechadishkim, the God who sanctifies you. So you guys know, I've been reading through the Bible this year and we're starting at the beginning. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We're now into Joshua, okay? So the book of Exodus is about God redeeming the Israelites, okay? It's about him bringing them out of slavery, out of captivity, of course, across, you know, walking across the Red Sea, and then eventually Joshua is gonna lead them into the promised land. Jesus is the one who leads us into the promised land. So the book of Exodus is about redemption. The book of Leviticus is about God sanctifying the Israelites, right? And he sanctified them through obeying the law, like right? putting God's law, putting the word of God into practice. You cannot have sanctification without first having redemption, okay? We have to be saved or redeemed before we can be sanctified. I hear, I hear people say all the time, well, I gotta get my life cleaned up first, and then I'll accept Christ, or then I'll be baptized. Now, we can't clean ourselves up. We can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We have to be saved first, we have to be redeemed first, and then God is the one who does the sanctifying. God is the one who does the cleaning up. Psalm 40, verse one through three says, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. So first we cry out to God. Just as the Israelites, when they were in slavery in Egypt, they cried out to God and God saved them, God redeemed them. We cry out to God and he saves us. He pulls us out of the mud and the mire. He gives us a firm place to stand. And then the growth process begins. Then he begins to sanctify us. We cannot be sanctified until we are first redeemed. But true redemption, true salvation leads to sanctification. If we're truly saved, then our lives will change. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So let, let me explain the symbolism with the Old Testament and life in the New Testament, okay? So in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel, they were the people of God. They were set apart, they were sanctified, they were made holy. They were God's representation to the nations. And we go all the way back to Abraham and, and God gives Abraham the promise in Genesis chapter 12, verse three, says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with, with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. 
Basically, God makes this promise to Abraham, and of course, that promise goes down to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Jacob's name changes to Israel, and then he has the 12 sons who are the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, I'll bless you, and you're to be a blessing to the nations. So in the New Testament, Jesus comes on the scene, and he establishes the new covenant. And so in the New Testament, the people of God are no longer the Israelites, but the people of God are the church. It is those people who have believed in Jesus, those people who've been born again, those people who've become disciples of Jesus Christ and been baptized into the church. Okay, the church is now the people of God and we have been set apart by Jehovah Mekadishkim. Listen to what the apostle Peter says to the church. See if this sounds familiar to you. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And so we, the church, have been called out of the world. We have been pulled out of the muck and the mire. We've been called out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. We've been set apart by God to be made holy. And we are to live very different lives than the rest of the world, okay? Salvation and sanctification are two separate things. Salvation or redemption, it's a one-time act. Sanctification is a process. It is a daily process, if not a moment-by-moment -moment journey of becoming more like Jesus. If we're truly saved, we will be growing spiritually. We'll be growing closer to God and becoming more like God. Philippians 3.14 says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I love what one of the guys in my discipleship group said this past Tuesday night. He said, I'm not perfect, but I'm moving up and to the right. And we are in the middle of, we're doing discipleship book two, which is the marks of Jesus' disciples and part of the nine marks of Jesus, I was part of the book is learning how to have a daily quiet time. And so it has, you know, day one for the week and a verse and what did the Holy Spirit teach you? How can you apply it to your life? It's just simple, you know, it's building the habit of a quiet time. And this particular guy said, I only did three out of seven this week. Like he missed four days. Like he, he, missed, he missed four of the seven days. He said, but I'm moving up and to the right right? Sanctification is a process. None of us is perfect. We're all on the process. We're all being sanctified. And he's taking steps toward heaven. Sanctification is a process. It's a lifelong pursuit of becoming holy, becoming more like Jesus. And so the purpose of the Sabbath is to make God's people holy. We are to set aside the Sabbath day to grow closer to God, what we do on Sundays should look very different than what the world does on Sundays. Like coming to worship, coming to church is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. It's, it's what makes us different. And so we come to worship God, we, we offer him praise and we give, of our, we give of our tithes 
and our offerings, and, and we, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, and we worship together, and we pray together, and we serve God together. Honoring the Lord on the Sabbath is what sets us apart from the rest of the world. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. We have been pulled out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. And so when we, when we worship on Sundays, we're like the early church, right? In the book of Acts, we, we devote ourselves to the teaching of God's word, to prayer, to fellowship, and to sharing in the Lord's Supper together. And God uses all of these things to sanctify us, to make us holy. We fulfill our responsibilities by setting ourselves apart to be holy, but God is the one who does the sanctifying. He is Jehovah Mechadishim the God who sanctifies. And so we have a role to play. We set ourselves apart to be holy and then God does the sanctifying. He does the purifying. We have a role to play in the sanctification process. We are to pursue holiness. We are to pursue holiness. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 22 says, but God's truth stands firm like a foundation stone with this inscription, the Lord knows those who are his, remember we're his special possession, and all who belong to the Lord must turn away from evil. In a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some are made of wood and clay. The, utensil, the expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special instrument, a special utensil for honorable use your life will be clean and you'll be ready for the master to use for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. We are to repent, we are to turn from sin, we're to keep ourselves pure, we're to run from anything that stimulates lust, we are to pursue righteous living, and he says that we're to surround ourselves with other people who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, God has pulled us out of the darkness and into his wonderful light, and we're to enjoy the fellowship of other believers who have been called out of the world. We are to pursue holiness. 2 Corinthians 7 1 says, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. It takes discipline to live a holy life. We are to daily cleanse ourselves from anything that can contaminate our bodies and souls. It says that we are to pursue holiness out of reverence for God, out of fear of God. Of God, out of respect for God. First Thessalonians 4, 3, 3, 4, and 7 says, it's God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn and control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. We're called to live a holy life. We have been set apart from the world. First Peter 1, 14 to 16 says, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. We're to be holy because God 
is holy. We are called to live a holy life. So what has God sanctified us to do? What, what has God set us apart to do? Let's go, let's go back to that verse in 2 Timothy 2.21. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, those who cleanse themselves from sin, will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. God sanctifies us so he can use us to fulfill his purposes. He saves us and he sanctifies us so that he can use us to fulfill his purposes on earth. So the Israelites back in the Old Testament, they were set apart to be a blessing to the nations. The church has been set apart so that we can be God's representatives to the world. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So we have been saved and we have been set apart. We have been, been sanctified so that we can be ambassadors to the world. God has given us this ministry of reconciliation. We are Christ ambassadors to the world, okay? The world cannot see God, but they can see God in us. We are his representatives. We're his chosen people. We're his royal priest. We are his holy nation, and he set us apart to serve him. We should live such good lives among our neighbors and coworkers and classmates that they can see Jesus in us. Now, I realize this is a super high standard. I realize that this can be a bit overwhelming. So let me give you three reassuring promises from God's word. Number one is God's grace is sufficient for us. God's grace is sufficient for us. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So God uses all of these things to sanctify us. Our weaknesses, our insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. God uses the difficulties in life to sanctify us and make us more like Jesus. So, so when do we seek God the most? When do we pray the most? When we're going through trials and tribulations. God's grace is enough, we're not perfect. When we are weak, he is strong, and it's in our weaknesses that God displays his power. God's grace is sufficient for us. The second promise is the one who calls us is faithful, and he will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, listen, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will 
do it. God is the one who sanctifies us. He is Jehovah Mekadishkim, the God who sanctifies us. He is the one who makes us holy. He has called us to live a holy life and the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And then the third promise is God will finish the work he began in us. God will finish the work that he began in us. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, God has begun this work in your life to sanctify you, to sanctify me. Like we, we are all a work in progress. We're on this journey to becoming more like Jesus. And God promises that he will finish the work that he began in us, and it's ultimately going to be completed on the day that we meet Jesus, when we, when we will be glorified in heaven. So we, so we see this process of salvation, the sequence of salvation, redemption, justification, just as if I had not sinned, forgiven of all my sins, sanctification, this, this growth process is upward called the journey of Christ. The ultimate when we get to heaven, where we will be glorified. Glorification will take place. So I wanted us to respond today by celebrating the Lord's Supper together at all, at all of our campuses. Uh, there are two ordinances in the church, two practices that set us apart as a church. They're what, is, they're what make us a church. We're, we're not a Bible study. You know, we're not a Christian ministry. We're, we're a church. And the two ordinances of the church are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a, is a one-time Act, it's the sign of the New Testament covenant. We're, we're baptized, we're putting on the clothes of Christ as a public profession of faith. And the Lord's Supper is the ongoing sacrament. It's the ongoing public profession of faith. Here are the Apostle Paul's instructions to the church on observing the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. And so first thing, we want to examine ourselves. I began the message and I shared that one of the prerequisites to revival is confession and repentance. And so every time we share in the Lord's Supper together, we are to examine ourselves. We are to confess our sins. We're to repent of our evil thoughts. We're to make sure that we have a right relationship with God. Uh, Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says, search me, O God, know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The bread is symbolic of Jesus' body that died for us. We're to thank God for his death on the cross. It's through his sacrifice on the cross that we've been redeemed. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body but made alive by the Spirit. 
in the cup is symbolic of Jesus' blood that was shed for us. Hebrews 9.22, the law requires that nearly everything is cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Ephesians 1.7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And so it's through the blood of Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. He has washed us as white as snow. He is Jehovah Mekadishkim, the Lord who sanctifies us. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we're remembering Christ crucified. And whenever we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And so at Greystone Church, we have what we call open communion, which means that you don't have to be a member of Greystone Church to share in the Lord's Supper with us. You simply have to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, if you've been redeemed, if you've been baptized into the church, we invite you to come around the Lord's table with us. And by sharing in, in the Lord's Supper, you are testifying to your faith in Jesus. Okay, so the bands, are, uh, the, the bands are gonna come at all of our campuses. And once you've examined yourself and confessed your sins, feel free to go to whatever table you want. Uh, at the Loganville campus, we have, we have four tables up front, four tables uh, in the back. Uh, we have the prepackaged containers, if you feel more comfortable doing that, or we have the bread in the cup where you can just hold the napkin, tear a piece of bread off, and dip it uh, into the cup, okay? And as we take the Lord's Supper today, I want you to think about Jehovah Mekadishkim, the Lord who sanctifies you, okay? Let's pray together. God, as we heard the story today of the Israelites being saved from slavery in Egypt and crossing the Red Sea and being sanctified through the word of God, and then it was Joshua who ends up taking them into the promised land. God, we think about our own lives, how you have saved us from the slavery of sin. You have redeemed us. You have pulled us out of the buck and the mire. You have pulled us out of the world. And it's through faith in Jesus Christ that we are gonna cross the, uh, the Jordan River and spend eternity in heaven with you. Uh, God, we are all in process. We are all growing in our relationship with you. You are Jehovah, Jehovah Mekadishkim, the Lord who sanctifies us. God, we're so grateful for your death on the cross. It's, it's through your blood that washes us as white as snow. God, it's, it's through your death on the cross that we've been redeemed, that we've been saved. God, I pray if there's anyone here, anyone watching, anyone listening who doesn't know you, I pray today would be the day of their salvation. God, as we share in the Lord's Supper together, we're so grateful for your body that died on the cross for us for the blood that you shed for us. And we thank you for your forgiveness and the eternal life that you've given us. We pray it all in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more messages or info on Greystone Church, feel free to go to our website, greystonechurch.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We look forward to connecting with you. We hope you have an amazing day and we'll catch you next week.